So let's take our Bibles this morning as our deacons make their way back to their families. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2. If you would, stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's Word this morning. Acts chapter 2, and there should be a Bible again underneath the chair you're sitting in or close to you. <coughs> Acts chapter 2, and I'll begin reading it, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray again. You did work, Lord, in those people on that day. You took those who were dead in sin and rebels some perhaps were in the crowd that shouted crucify him and you changed their hearts when the gospel was preached by a former coward named Peter now a spirit filled bony fingered preacher of the gospel because the gospel is the power of God and this is the gospel by the work of the Holy Spirit that's worked in many of our hearts in this room and you have given us repentance and faith as you did these 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. And you have brought us together into this fellowship of believers here in Mount Carmel. And we praise you, Lord. We praise you for Christ and we praise you for our church family, our brothers and sisters. We thank you for your promises. We ask God, we ask that you would please stir deeply within us affections for you desires for you, desires for your word. We feasted on the world too much this week, no doubt. For that we ask for forgiveness. Satisfy us now, Lord, and remind us that we're eternally satisfied with the supreme treasure of Jesus. So let us taste and see that the Lord is good. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. We were able to have a service last Sunday morning and had a pretty good attendance after all and I shared in that message last Sunday morning that my wife had asked me recently to uh, glue some things together at home with super glue. Uh, one of the things the craft that one of the kids had made that had been broken and another was one of those figurines that one of us, it may have been me, had broke the head off of that she noticed in our office downstairs. And so... Uh, I'd looked for super glue that weekend but couldn't find it. But yesterday at the dinner table, I noticed that one of that little craft she wanted super glued was laying right there in front of my dinner plate along with the super glue because I couldn't find it formally. And I thought, okay, I guess I'm going to glue this later. And so uh, I said, I kind of made a comment, I don't know what's hard. Why do you want me to do this? She said, I don't like to be around super glue. And so as I glued this together uh, and held it together firmly, so that there would be a tight connection, 
Then I placed the craft on top and, and the headless figurine now with a head on it turned the right way up on the refrigerator because I wanted it to set and be firm and, and be held tightly together. And as I did that, I noticed that my fingers were also tightly together. And I spent the next hour trying to get super glue off my fingers. Super glue works. It keeps you closely connected. It bonds. We're reminded in this passage of Scripture that out of the preaching of the gospel on the day of Pentecost, a new community of believers have been birthed. It's called the fellowship. It's referred to as the fellowship there in verse 42. You see it in your Bible? Not fellowship, but the best translation has the Greek article translated the, which is the fellowship. So we can fellowship in a lot of different ways. But there's only one the fellowship. The fellowship is the new community life of believers. And the reason I mentioned that about superglue is I want you to notice that they were devoted. You see that word devoted in the Bible? They were devoted to the fellowship. And that word devoted means to be closely connected, to be superglued, to be bonded together. They were devoted not only to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread and the, and the, the prayers. They were devoted to the fellowship. The fellowship is not just the building then, and it's not just meeting with the people merely. As it's described in this passage of Scripture, what do you see them doing here in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and following? Well, they're sharing their stuff. They're meeting each other's homes. There's a, a community, a new community has been birthed in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. The fellowship is the new community life of believers. It's not just a community, it's a life together. And they're, and they're stuck to it, they're devoted to it, they're connect, connected to it. They're not loosely connected. I want to share with you again some of the pictures we were looking at during the offering of some of our prayer meetings. It's been a wonderful week of meeting together at the Slater's home and, and the Fowler's home and, and, uh, and the Hawkins home and, and the, who else? Manning Gary's home and, and then the men's breakfast to top it all off yesterday morning was so well attended. We had such a sweet time of singing and, and of fellowship and of praying together. And so my heart has been greatly encouraged as we have met together and sought to be intentionally, intentionally even in the past few days in doing what scripture says to do, to be closely connected. I shared last Sunday that my wife had made Bosnian stuffed peppers and I asked the congregation that was here how many have ever had stuffed peppers before and almost everybody raised their hand and I didn't think anybody had had stuffed peppers I thought it was a Bosnian thing so I guess they make stuffed peppers in America too but the point in mentioning that was whether it's stuffed peppers or bento beans cornbread or biscuits and gravy. You know, if you go up north so far, you look and you talk about biscuits and gravy, and they look at you like they don't know what you're talking about. Nuts. So when I talk about pinto beans and cornbread or biscuits and gravy or stuffed peppers and somebody's looking at me that's never tasted it before, that it's really good, they're just like, well, that's nice. I'm thinking, no, you don't know. You've not tasted it. 
And the reason I'm saying that is, is within the church of the living God, in this closely connected fellowship, what we find are people who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And when you go out of the world, you go to school this week, and you go to the workplace, and you talk to people who are not saved, maybe they think they are, and, and you talk to them maybe about the gospel or about what the Lord's doing in your life, and they look at you and you say, that's nice. And you're thinking to yourself, no, it's not nice. It's, it's everything. And so it's so sweet and so good and such a grace that we can meet together on this day, the Lord's day, with brothers and sisters who've tasted and seen that the Lord is good and they're not looking at you with a blank stare. Most of them are not. With blank stares saying, well, that's nice. No, they know what you're talking about. They've had that meal of the gospel. That's why I love this church. That's why I love First Baptist. That's why I love meeting with you. Whether it's small groups or a large service like this, I'm meeting with people who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and it encourages my soul. I can't do without it, and you can't either. And I hope you see that in this passage of Scripture. We had a wonderful prayer week. I feel like the Lord's beginning to stir in ways that we've longed for in our church for some time. How do you sustain that? How, how is, you notice in the early church, they were this devotion to the fellowship, but it wasn't a perfect church. Ananias and Sapphira come along in Acts chapter 5, if you know the story, and, and there's griping about the widows being neglected in Acts chapter 6. It don't take long. It's not a, a real utopian community. So how do you sustain devotion to the fellowship? What keeps it going? Number one, two things, but a lot of things to say about it. Number one, the fellowship created by the gospel is sustained by the gospel. This fellowship on the day of Pentecost was created not by man. And there's fellowships that call themselves churches sometimes that are created by man and not by the gospel. It's just a bunch of people hanging out. The church is not a community center. Don't tell me, well, I can't go to this church because I don't have friends here. That's not true. You have brothers and sisters in Christ. People are closer than friends. And you have to stay closely connected to the fellowship and strive to get to know people. But going to church somewhere is not about seeing people you, you, you just enjoy hanging out with because of common interests that you have or because you work with them, even though that happens sometimes, right? Some of us know each other because of that. The gospel is, is what brings us together. And as Tim Johnson shared in his Sunday school class last Sunday, oneness is not sameness. Oneness is not sameness. So we meet and... Some of us like to go hunting and fishing. I shared this yesterday at the men. And some of us like to go scrapbooking. And that don't really usually mix, right? Some of us have convictions about homeschooling our children. And some of us have convictions about public schooling our children. We're not a homeschool church. We're not a hunting and fishing church. We're not a white church. We're not the church for people that just are at a certain economic level. 
This is the church of the living God that's created by the gospel. That's what unites us. And that's what sustains us. The oneness is not sameness. Oneness is sustained by the gospel. So I want you to look at your Bible and I want you to see what verse 42 says they were devoted to again. They were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I want you to notice in these verses that the fellowship created by the gospel is sustained by the gospel because look at what the church is doing. In verse 42, are you looking at your Bible? They're doing things that's forming them and shaping them that flow out of the gospel. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching. What is that? What is the apostles' teaching? It's the gospel. It's the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ that everything in the Old Testament, when the apostles preach, they're saying, Jesus fulfills it. He's the fulfillment of it. That's what the apostles taught. That's what they preached, and they were closely connected to it. They were devoted to it. So what sustained their fellowship was that they were devoted to gospel preaching, to gospel teaching, right? The fellowship created by the gospel is sustained by the gospel, gospel preaching, gospel teaching, gospel-centered Sunday school classes and small groups. They were devoted, of course, to the fellowship. comes up next. You see that in your Bible in verse 40, 42? The fellowship, the gospel they created, this love for one another, and they were devoted to that. They were in awe that God had saved them and, and most likely in awe of the fact that God had simply united them and given them such love for one another that they formerly did not have. That's because of the gospel. There was a gospel sustaining that fellowship and that love. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. Do you see that? Most biblical students of the word believe that refers not just eating meals together. When it says the breaking of bread, it's not just any meal. The breaking of bread would have been the Lord's Supper. Communion, just like we took, took uh, part in just now. And what is communion? What is the Lord's Supper? It's remembering what? The gospel. Do this in remembrance of me. And then are devoted to the prayers. They probably went back to the temple for a while and went through some of the Jewish prayers. But the way these believers in Jesus prayed now had been transformed by the gospel. When they prayed now some of the Old Testament prayers of the Psalms, when they sang some of those Psalms, they sang them now with new eyes. They sang them now in the light of the fact that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of that. They're devoted to the prayers. They're devoted to the prayers that have been shaped and formed by the gospel, knowing that they don't have to go through a high priest in some temple somewhere, but they got a high priest named Jesus that is also the sacrifice. And so they come boldly to the throne of grace. So this oneness created by the gospel, this fellowship is sustained by the gospel, by gospel preaching, by observing the Lord's Supper that reminds them of the gospel and by the prayers shaped by the gospel and by their love for one another that flows out of the gospel, which is the fellowship. Now, why is all this important? Why is it important that the fellowship created by the gospel is sustained by the gospel? What's the big deal? Why, why is pastor preaching on this again this Sunday? Why must we be careful to be sustained by the gospel? What is the big deal? Why be so serious? Why not just lighten up and have fun? Number two, 
Devotion to the fellowship overflows in worship and witness. This is why. This is the answer. And I want you to see it in these verses. Devotion to the fellowship, look at what it results in. Devotion to the fellowship expressed in this love for one another overflows in worship and witness. And you see it in your Bible. This is what happens. Look at verse 46. Day by day they were attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. So they have this joy in them, glad and generous hearts. And look at verse 47. Praising God. Now that's a miracle, and we may take it for granted, but for rebellious dead sinners to praise God is a miracle. And they are praising God. They're fellowshipping together. They're in each other's homes. They're spending time with another, sharing together. And the overflow of that is they're full of gladness and sincerity of heart, and they're just praising God. They're worshiping God. And because of their worship of God and in the context of meeting together, they're growing in Christ, just like we're emphasizing right now, growing in Christ and engaging the lost because not only did it overflow in worship, it overflowed in witness. Where are they at daily together, day by day? What's your Bible say in verse 46? Where were they at? You look at your Bible, what's it say? They were in the temple together. Temple was not the place for them to come and have a Christ-centered worship service necessarily, even though there was preaching in Solomon's colonnade by the apostles sometimes. But that's where sometimes you see miracles taking place in the book of Acts by the apostles. This is where they went and their witness as a community was, their, their life as a community was witnessed by the, those that were lost, which was the rest of the Jerusalem community. Day by day they were attending the temple together and then notice what your Bible says in verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. All the people includes all the people. They had favor with all the people. Their life as a community of believers brought them into favor with, into grace with all the people. Now we know that's going to change later when they're persecuted and so forth. The implications of this though is their day by day in the temple having favor with all the people is they were being a witness, a corporate witness in Jerusalem. Devotion to the fellowship was overflowing in worship and witness. Now where did this come from? Verse 44 or 43 says that they were in awe of in awe how God had saved them and all of God how it brought them together. And if you're overflowing in worship to God, that's a product of being closely devoted to the fellowship where you're growing in grace. And if you're overflowing in witness, and that means you're engaging the lost. And notice what God's doing right in the midst of it. Look at verse 46, 47, the end of it. Look at the last phrase of verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They're devoted to the fellowship, centered upon the gospel. It's overflowing in worship and witness. They understand what Christ has done for them. And as their hearts are filled with this joy and gladness in what Jesus has done, they can't help but stop. They can't stop. They can't help but speak the things they've seen and heard. They've got to witness. They've got to tell somebody. They've got to love one another because God's loved them because that's the gospel. God's brought them together. They've got to love each other. And they want others that don't know that love, that don't know Christ, to, to be brought into that community of believers. And so they witness. They just overflow in it. And the Lord adds to the number day by day those who are being saved. Souls are being saved. And only God does it. 
So if we think, what's the big deal about being devoted to the fellowship? Why not lighten up? Well, think about this. They overflowed in worship and witness. They're growing in Christ, engaging the lost, and the Lord is adding to their number day by day those who are being saved. Isn't that what we want? Do we not want to worship the Lord and overflow in witness, grow in Christ, engage the lost, see the Lord add to our number day by day those who are being saved? Don't we want that? This is what we want, but then why are we reluctant to be devoted to the fellowship? now gets to the meat and potatoes of the message. Why are we reluctant to be devoted to the fellowship if we truly want the results of a devotion to the fellowship to be felt in our lives and in our church family? Why are we reluctant? What leads us to be reluctant in our devotion to the fellowship? Now, if you just took a piece of paper and began to write down things that might come to your mind, why am I reluctant to be really close to this church family? Why am I hesitant? I imagine there might be several things. And I'm going to try to address some before I close. Here's the big question. You ready for the big question here? Here it is. We talked about tasting the gospel. To taste and see that the Lord is good. How is it that our continual tasting of the gospel can so satisfy us that we continually strive to repent and get around the obstacles and excuses that seek to get in the way of our devotion to the gospel. That's a mouthful. But how is it that when we're devoted to the fellowship that we're tasting the gospel continually together, how is it that God uses that? How is it that he uses the gospel to sustain us and get us around the excuses and obstacles that come up that, well, I can't go to church today or I don't want to get involved in a small group or I just want to kind of hang out and stay loose. And, and how is it, and, I, and I've got this reason and that reason, how is it that the gospel that we're continually tasting gets us around that and says, I'm not, I'm not giving in to that excuse and that, and that supposed hindrance because Jesus is better the gospel satisfies me. And the church needs me. <laughs> and I need the church. And so I want to be closely connected. How is it the gospel gets us around that? That it so satisfies us that we say, enough of that excuses. Enough of letting that be an obstacle to my devotion to the fellowship. Well, here's two things that may summarize up the kind of excuses that, I say excuses, obstacles, that may hinder us from truly being close to our church family, from just hanging back or showing up. So I'm gonna give you two things that may reflect what you might have possibly written down about why you might be reluctant to, in your devotion to the fellowship. Number one is this. Devotion to this church family is gonna require my willingness to trust. So one of the obstacles that may come up for why you might be tended to just kind of hang back and not get real close is when you think about being super glued together, <laughs> close, closely connected, you might think to yourself, man, if I get serious about this, it's going to require my trust. Why do you say that, preacher? Well, I can relate to it for one thing because I am an introvert. 
if anybody didn't know that. No, it don't sound like it when I'm up here preaching. But outside the pulpit, I kind of like to hang back and hang loose sometimes. Something I have, have to be aware of. So I understand personally how these trust things come up and insecurities about where I can trust people and so forth. Devotion to this church family is going to require my trust. I'm a, O-ring is our men's uh, ministry that's beginning again Wednesday night. We're going to study on the Lord's Prayer, a study that Al Mohler's developed for the next 12 weeks, and we're looking forward to that. And someone asked me earlier, is there going to be any reading to do ahead of time? And I said, no. So men, 7.30 on Wednesday nights, if you're not involved in a small group or Sunday school class, or if you are, we'd love for you to come at 7.30 on Wednesdays. And there's no homework, okay? No homework. But when you come, there's work to do. And I want you to turn with me in Hebrews or listen carefully to what Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 says about the work that we're supposed to do when we meet together. Because meeting together is not the work. I mean, it may have been work to get here this morning, right? Because your back hurts or your loved ones are going through some difficult times, or your kids were fussing not wanting to come. I understand that. But the work really is when you get here, not just getting here. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 says this, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So what is it they're supposed to do when they meet together? You see, back in Acts chapter 2, I believe it's verse 45, it says that they were meeting together and had all things in common. The hindrances come up when you think about the fact that if I'm going to be devoted to this fellowship, the word together comes up. And that means i got to be with them. And notice what Hebrews chapter 10 says, stirring one another up, not forsaking, not forsaking the meeting together, but stirring one another up. And what's it say in verse 25? Encouraging one another. So there's those one another's going on that we're supposed to participate in when we meet together. So what that means is when I meet with other believers and I'm not just going to be sitting on a, on a chair but I'm actually going to participate in the body of Christ, I've got to trust them enough to stir me up, to encourage me, to open myself up and say, this is what I need prayer for. I mean, how's the church going to pray for you if you don't tell us, if you don't tell somebody, if people don't know you, or if we don't get to know people, if we just hang out with the same people in our church family and make no effort to get to know others? So it requires trust to do that. This means I'm going to have to trust you, and that's not easy, especially for those who might honestly say I'm an introvert, or you might say I don't like crowds. I know that. I know it's real for people. Or you might say I'm just a private person. Well, brothers and sisters, that's why I'm convinced, absolutely convinced as your pastor, that small group type discipleship is absolutely essential if we want to grow in Christ together 
And I'm talking small group discipleship, whether that's Sunday school or a Bible study, but where we're meeting together with other believers centered around the Word of God and we're sharing our lives together. You're not going to be closely connected to the fellowship and enduring and persevering with joy and gladness and sincerity of heart like you could be unless you do that. So this is where trust is earned when you meet with folks like that. And you say, yeah, you meet a few times in a small group, for, for example, or maybe a Sunday school class, and you meet for a few times, and finally you realize those guys or those women, they actually do love you. And so you say, you know what? I hadn't said anything yet, but I want you to pray for me because I'm thinking about leaving my husband. You can't tell anybody else, but I believe I can trust you ladies, right? That kind of stuff happens in our church family. It does. I hear about those things, about people sharing those kind of things in their life because a trust has developed and a transparency. And now the other ladies can say, let me show you what Scripture says. Let me exhort you. Let me stir you. Let me tell you about how my marriage is not perfect either and what we've been trying to do or who you can talk to or get counsel from. That's the church family, folks. That's devotion to the fellowship. Church, consider this. The power of a personal invite. Extroverts need introverts and vice versa. And sometimes all people need is for you to go up to them and invite them to come to the prayer meeting or invite them to come to Sunday school class or say, hey, we'd really like you to come to our small group or I'd really like for you to come out and eat lunch with my family after church today. If we increase in those things, we'll continue to see God bless in mighty ways in our church. So here's the obstacle is trust. How does the gospel then help us navigate around this obstacle of I'm not sure I can trust these people. I'm not sure I want to get real close. I just kind of want to just hang out. How does the gospel, if we really begin to ingest it and get satisfied with it, how does it lead us to say, okay, I'm not going to let introversion or other things stand in the way of getting close to this fellowship. How does the gospel aid us in that? What does Hebrews chapter 10 say in verse 24 and 25? Verse 25 says, "...and neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near." Now how can we be encouraged as the day's drawing near? Because the day drawing near is the day when Jesus comes back. And if you're in sin and you're lost, you don't want that day to come if you even believe it's coming. But if you're a believer in Christ, you're encouraged that the day is coming. Like I was reading in Psalm 23 this morning in my own devotional time, and it says, he restores my soul. And I thought about this past prayer week and how my soul had been restored and refreshed so much. And I thank God for that, and I thank God, and I thank you, God, for the day coming when my soul will eternally be restored, you know, refreshed in your presence. So I need believers in my life to stir me and encourage me. Keep going. Keep going. I was, uh, when I super glued my fingers together, I was putting this little head on this little baby st statue. The mama st is holding the baby like this, and I put the head on, and Deanna comes up and says, I said, it won't fit. She says, it's because the head's on backwards. 
So I glued my hands together. I was putting the baby's head on backwards. And the reason was I was because I was t- tired. I was so tired from the night before. I woke up early Saturday morning about 3 o'clock. I could not sleep. I have trouble sleeping anyway. And so I got up about an hour later finally. And, and the reason was I was tired was because I was so excited about this past week of meeting together with my church family and praying together because my soul had been so refreshed. And I thank God that there's a day coming when it's going to be like that and even better. Amen? So the gospel reminds me that a day is coming that I'm going to be with the Lord forever. It reminds me in Hebrews 10 verse 19 that I can come with confidence because of the high priest. If you read those verses in Hebrews, this is what Christ has done. He's a faithful high priest over the house of God. We have confidence to go into his presence by the blood of Jesus. It's this gospel that gives us confidence to approach him and trust him that he's not going to crush us. And if he's not going to crush us, then we ought to know that our brothers and sisters in Christ, as we get to love them, that we can trust them too. Not as easy, they're not perfect. And you'll find that out as you get close. That's the reason Paul says forgiving one another and bearing with one another, right? But the gospel reminds me of what Christ has done and reminds me how much I need my church family. Another angle at this trust thing is this. Our reluctance to meet together is going to require my willingness to trust. Is You may feel getting hurt. If I get too close to these people, I'm going to get hurt. They're going to let me down because they are imperfect. And when, yes, they are. We are. Spurgeon said, if you, don't, if you find the perfect church, don't join it because you might ruin it. You will ruin it because you're not perfect either. So you might say, well, I've been hurt by church people in the past. I got real involved in the church at one point, but never again. I just want to hang loose now. And those are real hurts that some of you experienced in churches. And I don't want to minimize them, but I want you to see, beloved, this. That staying in a place of fear and just hanging loose because you feel hurt and just keeping a safe distance, which is an issue for some of you. You're just, you're just, keeping, you're just staying safe here. Doing that is not glorifying to God. And John chapter 17 says this, if you turn there with me. I want you to again see how the gospel helps us in this, to navigate around this obstacle. John chapter 17, quickly turn over there. Jesus is praying his high priestly prayer for us. And as he prays for us in verse 23, he says these words, I and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them as you loved me. Get that? You love them as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Some of you may say about your Reasons not to get close to the church family, it's because of trust. And here we see that we just don't keep our distance because our love for one another, which requires being together to express that, 
glorifies God because it displays the eternal Trinitarian love that we've been called into. And here's how I want you to see that because that's a lot of words and some of you are not getting it. The Bible says, look here in your Bible with me. You listening? Look here. Verse, look at your Bible in verse 23. Look at what it says. I and them and you and me that they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Jesus says, I want them to know that you love them just like you love me. And how much does the Father love the Son? He says in the next verse, for you love me before the foundation of the world. He's praying that they might be one because they know of that love of the gospel so that it reflects the Trinitarian love that they've been called into. It magnifies and glorifies God. So your devotion to the fellowship, your closeness to one another because of the gospel glorifies God. And when you hang loose, you're not glorifying God as you should. Devotion to this church family as I move on is going to require me giving my what? Some of you may have other things that come in the blank and we see in the Acts chapter 2 that they were they had all things in common, right? They were sharing their possessions. That, that's the deal there. They were sharing their, their money, what belonged to them. And certainly this generosity is part of that. But is that what you would put in the blank if I were to ask you what's keeping you from being close to this church family, from really getting involved in this church family, what would you put in the blank? Well, it could be possessions that you're afraid of sharing what you, your money or what you have, and certainly we should be giving. But we should also be generous in relation to our time. And I think probably the number one thing that may keep people from getting close is time. Devotion to this church family is going to require my time that I be generous with my time. Here in Prosperous America, sharing and giving money, it's an issue for us. Well, none of us are here rich here, but rich by the standard of the rest of the world. But we do find ourselves not ever having enough time, don't we? Time is a precious commodity. And so if I'm really going to get close to this church family, it means I'm going to have to sacrifice some time to meet together. It means I'm going to have to take time to meet in small groups or a Sunday school class or with other believers. It means I'm going to have to take time to use my spiritual gifts that God's given me to build up this church and not just keep them from myself. So it's going to require saying no to some things in your life. It's going to require you to rearrange your schedule and, make, and reprioritize some things if you want to be devoted to the fellowship it's going to require you to make some sacrifices with your time. And, and that, that's hard because some of you are probably sitting there thinking, man, I, I ain't got no more time. Well, the, some, that means some of the things you're involved in are going to have to get cut out because you've got to make time for what's important, brother. Men leading your families, you need to be the ones leading them in that. Souls are at stake. Yours is at stake. Not saying your soul's at stake if you don't go to church. Saying that your joy is at stake. And your soul could be at stake if you don't have any desire for God's people. How can you say you love Christ and not love one another? 
So devotion to this church family is going to require my time. How is it that the gospel helps me to be generous with my time? Really quick, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and then I know you're wondering how much longer I'm going to go maybe. But, and I, the answer for that is when I get done. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2 says this. It's talking about the giving of the churches in Macedonia and Paul's writing to the churches in, first in Corinth, the Corinthians, who've not been giving like they should. And so he says, let me tell you about how the Macedonians, about their generosity. Verse 2 says in 2 Corinthians 8, for in a severe test of affliction, these churches in Macedonia, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So they're poor. They have extreme poverty, but they have extreme joy. And why do they have extreme joy? Well, look how Paul motivates them to remember the gospel in verse 9. Look at verse 9. Listen to it. For you know, and this is what the Macedonian churches knew, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. And he's saying to the Corinthians who've not been quite as generous as the Macedonian churches, and the Macedonian believers are being generous even though they have much poverty, they have much joy, and the reason they have much joy that overflows in generosity is because the gospel is sustaining that. They're reminded, and he's appealing to the Corinthians, he who is rich became poor, so that you who are poor in sin Dead in sin might become rich, even children of God. They're getting around the obstacle of time. Here in this case, possessions and giving. And for us, it could be time or whatever other thing that requires sacrifice because of the gospel. That motivates them to make the sacrifice necessary to be devoted to the fellowship. This is the Christ who as though he was rich became poor. Like he sang about this morning, he, the theme of heaven's praises, frailed and robed in frail humanity. Come behold the wondrous mystery, Christ the Lord upon the tree. You think about this. You think about this and, and you're tasting and seeing it. And it, it should change our minds and attitudes and hearts about our time or our possessions or about even about our trust. Come behold the wondrous mystery, church family. Christ the Lord Upon the tree, in the stead of ruined sinners, hangs the lamb in victory. See the price of our redemption. See the cost. See who is rich became poor on our behalf. See the price of our redemption. See the Father's plan unfold, bringing many sons to glory. Amen? Grace unmeasured, love untold. You can't even find the words for it. And when you think about this sacrifice that he's made for you, Paul says to the Corinthians and God says to us who may be hesitant about sacrificing our time so that we can be devoted to the fellowship. Then our question should not be, how can I make time for my brothers and sisters in the fellowship of believers? But instead should be, how can I not be generous with my time? or my money, or my possessions, or whatever else as God has given me for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Not how can I make time, or, or, or how can I possibly give more money, but how can I not be generous with my time, or my possessions, in light of what Christ has done. 
So let me ask you this as I close this morning. I want you to do this this morning and do this this week. Ask the Lord, what, what do I need to keep going or to keep doing or start doing? What I need to keep doing or start doing in order to be devoted to this fellowship? In other words, what the Lord's saying to you about this message. What do you just need to keep on doing to stay devoted? Because maybe you're discouraged right now. Or what is it you need to start doing? Or maybe even stop doing so you can start doing to be devoted to this fellowship. And the last question is this, and I think it's another excuse that I won't address in detail at all, but some of you are sitting here this morning and you say the reason you're not devoted to the fellowship is because you're bored. When you come and you sit in this worship service this morning, you're bored. You're bored when you go to Sunday school. Some of you made professions of faith. Some of you young people, you don't want to come to church. You complain about it. Some of you. And you're bored. And there's apathy. And it breaks my heart. Let me ask you a question to really think about if that's you. If you just really don't enjoy being here and you really just wish you'd, I'd hurry up and get done and, you know, what is it that you're feasting on during the week that is so good that the gospel doesn't taste good when you come and meet with other believers? Maybe what some of us need, and I'm just getting on young people. I don't... There's adults here like that too. They have blank stares sometimes when we're talking about precious things. And it breaks my heart. What are you feasting on during the week? Maybe you need to take that smartphone and fast from it for a couple weeks. Or that television show you just feel like you've got to watch. Or those places you just feel like you just got to hang out with. And parents, maybe you need to go to your teenagers and say, we're going to limit how much time you're spending on some of these devices. Because I'm doing it for your soul. Boy, I'm in trouble now. Prying. Do it for your joy. Do it for your joy. And it may be that you're bored because you've never seen, you've never tasted that the Lord is good. Repent and trust in the gospel and we'd love to talk with you about where your heart's at this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we come, we thank you for this service and this time of worship. Lord, work, work in our midst. Help us to take these truths and not let them fall to the ground. Lord, help us to know the gospel so well that trying to make it an effort to be devoted to one another the way you've called us to, it's not really an effort. It's just an overflow of joy from having feasted on you during the week in your word, from having been nourished in small groups and Sunday school classes or whatever. Father, work that way in us that we might stand back and be in awe of how you've worked in us and in our church. And if there's one among us who has never seen the glory of Jesus, oh God, I pray for conviction and I pray for repentance and faith. 
And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together right now and sing in Christ alone. Now, if you want to come while we're singing and pray or let me talk with you about something, I'll pray with you. You come and we pray, but let's stand and praise our God together this morning before we leave. so glad you 
came to worship with us this morning. Steve Wasey, one of our deacons, is going to come and close us in prayer this morning on your way out. A couple of our deacons are standing at the back to collect a benevolence offering to help meet needs, especially of those in our church family. It's very uh, significant that we were reminded of that this morning. That characterized the church as they met each other's needs. So you give uh, for this special offering as you feel led. And I'll be standing in the back. And uh, if you're here this morning, you'd like to talk about something, about how God's at work in your life, or about our church, or a prayer, or whatever it is, please, by all means, stop and get my attention. I'd love to, love to set up a time to talk with you, or we can talk now. But come back and tonight at 6.30. We're going to have a prayer meeting tonight. And our challenge for the month of January is that every member commit to come to one prayer meeting. So I'm really thinking there's going to be a great big attendance tonight for our prayer. I can't wait to be here. And uh, you know what? I know the Lord's going to be here, and I'm looking forward to this evening. Don't forget about the prayer meeting at our home Saturday at 6. Seems like there's something else I was going to mention, but I don't know what it is. So Steve, please close us in prayer. Holy God, we don't deserve this. Lord, we are corrupt in thought and in practice. It's only by your grace that we are here. You provided someone to come to us who overcame his own timidity, who over, overcame his, his shyness and brought to us the word of life. Lord, we're so appreciative of that. Lord, we want to be that person. Let us go and, and greet the world with the good news of Christ as we go. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. What is the gospel? It all begins with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, to rule over the garden. God told them they could eat from any tree that they wanted to in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything was perfect in the garden. They had a perfect relationship with the land, a perfect relationship with each other, a perfect relationship with God until they chose to rebel against God and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it brought about separation between them and God. Man has always tried to bridge the separation on his own terms and in his own strength. Whether it's building a ladder of morality and trying to be good enough for God, or even in the Old Testament example, when men built a tower into the heavens trying to reach God on their own. A more contemporary example comes from 1961, when the Russians were first successful in sending a man into outer space. Upon returning, the Russian cosmonaut remarked, We have been to space, and we didn't find God or heaven there. A popular professor and author, C.S. Lewis, responded to the Russian cosmonaut. He said that looking for God in outer space is kind of like Hamlet, one of the characters in Shakespeare's plays, looking for Shakespeare in the attic of his home. Lewis said that for Hamlet to have a relationship with Shakespeare, Shakespeare would literally have to write himself into the story. That is the gospel. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Almost 2,000 years ago, the Bible says that Jesus, in fulfillment to Old Testament prophecies, was born of a virgin. Even as a child, he lived a perfect life. 
At the age of 30, he began his public ministry. He attracted followers. For three years, he taught, he healed, and he made bold claims, such as saying that he alone was the only way to God. The religious and political leaders did not like these teachings. They invoked a riot against Jesus. They brought about false accusations leading to a trial and to a sentencing of death by public crucifixion. The Bible says that while Jesus hung on the cross, that God placed all of the sin of all of mankind on Jesus. Jesus hung on the cross as our substitute. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. They took Jesus down from the cross and they put him in a tomb. They rolled a large stone at the entrance of the tomb so no one could get in or out. There were Roman soldiers who were posted on guard to keep people from coming to take Jesus's body. But on the third day, according to scripture, he rose again. After being seen by many eyewitnesses and giving instruction to his followers, he ascended back into the heaven, where he now sits at the right hand of God and serves as our advocate before the Father. So what does this have to do with you? The Bible says that we have all sinned and that we all fall short of God's standard of holiness. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no way to get rid of the burden of sin on our own. God calls all men everywhere to believe in Christ, repent of sins, and trust Christ to live a new life. As we look back and believe in what God has done through the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection, as we repent and turn from our sins, as we trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we have peace with God and the forgiveness of sins. So let's review. It all begins with God. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Jesus died in our place for our sins and rose again on the third day. As we believe in Christ, repent from our sins, and trust Jesus for new life, we have peace with God and forgiveness of sins. That is the gospel.